Well, welcome. Uh, my name is Jim Dunn, and I'm the co-editor of the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. And uh, today I'm here happy to uh, host the first podcast for the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. And I'm pleased to be joined by Deborah Shipton from the Glasgow Centre for Population Health in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, we're going to talk today about a recent article that she published, she and her colleagues Bruce White and David Welsh published in July 2013 called Alcohol-Related Mortality in Deprived UK Cities, Worrying Trends in Young Women Challenge Recent National Downward Trends. So, Deborah, uh, welcome today. Thank you. Happy to have you here. So, um, I wanted to just start with, by asking you, what was this study and what did you find? In Glasgow, we've got an um, excess mortality compared to other similar cities uh, with a similar deprivation and um, post-industrial past. What we have done is a, um, a body of research comparing Glasgow um, over a number of um, different measures with Liverpool and Manchester. So both these cities, um, as I say, similar in deprivation and post-industrial past. So we wanted to specifically look at alcohol-related deaths and had, we had a look over a 30-year period for differences um, by age, sex, cohort, etc., um, to see if we could identify why it was that Glasgow, although very similar to these two cities, had a much higher level of alcohol deaths. It had three times higher alcohol deaths than the, than the other two cities. Um, and what we found in terms of uh, that specific part of the paper was there were no um, large differences between the three cities in terms of alcohol-related deaths and the patterns of them over the previous uh, three decades. Although there was some city-specific stuff, nothing that really could explain this large difference. There was also um, another interesting finding that related to uh, females. As part of this, what we were doing is trying to analyze the data, as I say, in a slightly different way. And um, One way to do that was to look at uh, individuals by cohort. And in doing that, we found out that women born in the 1970s cohort had a disproportionate increase in alcohol-related deaths. Now, this was amid a background of decreasing alcohol deaths that we have seen in the UK as a whole. And so it was uh, interesting that this population, this subpopulation of women, weren't benefiting from this national trend of a decrease in deaths. It was also quite interesting because over the last decade or so, there had been some evidence of increasing consumption of alcohol in women and um, a, a more converging pattern of alcohol consumption between men and women. Although there had been some, some arguing that that was more to do with a greater equality in reporting. So women were more felt more able to report the sort of true um, alcohol consumption, whereas in previous decades they were under-reporting it because of sort of social desirability. So this finding showed that, no, that, that wasn't what was driving this. We were actually seeing an increase or a, a disproportionate increase in death. Wow, that's very interesting. So, so one of the things that you said, of course, was that Glasgow had a three times greater rate of alcohol-related deaths. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. At the beginning and of the period, yeah. At, at the beginning of the period, but that gap narrowed over the period. It, it did narrow, but not... I think it was still two to three times higher at the end of the period. Right. It was it was more that the, the similarity in the pattern and the sort of uh, proportional patterns of alcohol-related deaths. There were similar increases proportionally right. across the three decades in the three cities. So similar kinds of trends over time, although the difference is more or less remained. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and you didn't get any particular insight into why, I mean, Glasgow has a, a long history of uh, being shown to have uh, poor health on a number of different measures, and you don't have any particular insight into why that's the case in your particular study. It's not that long a history. Sort of 50 years or so is when okay. the health in Scotland started to deviate from that in the UK. And probably around that time, uh, or possibly a wee bit later, Glasgow started to deviate from the other three cities. So in some ways, it's not a, it, it's not a foregone conclusion that, that Glasgow has got this poor health. Something started around 50 years ago. But no, in terms of the alcohol-related deaths, and actually the big difference in mortality between um, Glasgow, Liverpool and Manchester is related to the alcohol mortality. Isn't that interesting? So, I mean, when we think about this, if it's women that were born in the 70s, we're now talking about women who are who at are this time, or maybe uh, it's they would have been a little bit younger at the time of your study, but are now in their 30s, early 40s, mm-hmm. which is quite fascinating. So alcohol-related deaths amongst women in their 30s is essentially what's driving the, the finding that, you're, that you've got. To what degree they're driving the city level trends, they, they will begin to because the sort of city level trends are largely still dictated by men. We must say that men have about a two to three times uh, higher rate of alcohol deaths than, than women. So it's mainly men in their 40s and 50s that are driving the citywide trends. But I guess the interest in this cohort is that as these women grow into their 30s, 40s and 50s, their level of alcohol death will increase because of the typical age profile of alcohol-related death. So they will start having an impact. And there has been some arguing that what we're seeing in Glasgow nationally and and in the UK is we are seeing a decrease in alcohol-related deaths, but it's leveling off. And in Glasgow particularly, it's halted. There is In the last year, it has actually gone up. And some are saying that, arguing, we have to sort of look into the data a bit more. But what we're seeing is these, these differences in this younger cohort are affecting this, the, the, the plateauing of the alcohol-related deaths. So they are starting to um, play out in the, in the citywide statistics as well. Do you have any sense of what the, how this manifests in kind of everyday social life? We know that has been huge changes socially for women um, and they're uh, much more accepted into the, the, the drinking areas, as it were, um, in, in cities, uh, traditional cities, I guess, like Glasgow and probably elsewhere. You know, 50 years ago, there were many pubs where you couldn't go in to as a woman. And that, that's now we have the reversal in a way where um, the nighttime economy and this sort of leisure alcohol economy is very much geared towards women. So there's a huge marketing push. When they saw women starting to drink, the, the drinks industry did very much and still do sort of push drinks. Drinks were marketed towards women. We've got uh, drinks where they're showing the calorie content, um, bars, free admission for in clubs for, for women, etc. And I think this was, uh, as as I say, there was a, a growing um, acceptance and in some ways a desirability for women to lead lives comparable to men in some ways in the UK. And I think culturally um, that's probably what has been driving this amid a backdrop of over the last 20, 30 years of a much higher level of accessibility and affordability of alcohol in general. 
So that's driven the national trends. And then what's happened is this sort of changing cultural arena for women has happened at this time, um, which has probably exacerbated um, what you would have seen anyway. Oh, that's fascinating. So essentially the downside of equal opportunity. Of course, sort of awarding equal rights is not contingent on them being used responsibly. Um, so we, we didn't mm-hmm. place that restriction on men. So, of course, we can't necessarily place that restriction on women. But I do think there is an opportunity here, as in with um, smoking, for example, it, that, that sort of behavior was, was much more common in men. It was, became popular in men and they sort of um, forged that forward, as it were. And what we're seeing now in, in lots of the conditions resulting from smoking, in men they're decreasing, but in women they're still increasing and they're really quite high. So is this, this sort of catch-up which is going on? And I guess there's an opportunity here in theory and hopefully in practice too to be able to halt that catch-up process. Oh, that's really interesting. And how does deprivation fit into all of this in your mind and from the evidence that you've got available? Yeah, that's quite an interesting one because in general what we see is deprivation is very much linked to alcohol harm. There's an argument that the exposure to it is is more uh, similarly uh, um, uh, distributed across the population, but harm is much more concentrated in those from deprived areas or those from low socioeconomic um, occupations. Um, and that, that is true across the board, and that's also true in females. But we also know that in terms of females and deprivation, deprivation and alcohol, there's a slight more confusing issue in that, uh, specifically to do with different occupations. So in men, the more manual occupations, generally men in those occupations will drink more than those in the more professional occupations. That's not true for females. We see a higher level of um, consumption in females in in the higher professional occupations compared to those in more manual occupations. So that's a bit of a flip. How that relates to alcohol deaths, we're not entirely sure because we don't have great data on the female's occupation on death data. It's just not well recorded. So tell me uh, how all of this relates in your mind to public health responses around alcohol. The totality of the data in the paper supports a continued effort on um, public health attention on alcohol. So we have been seeing some um, encouraging trends, uh, decrease in alcohol sales, decrease in consumption, decrease in deaths. But this is suggesting you can't necessarily take, well, you can't absolutely can't take your eye off the ball. There's still an issue going on. We still have historically high levels of alcohol harm, plus we have these emerging um, trends in, in the younger population. So it's still an issue, and it does still support the population-wide interventions in terms of uh, reducing availability, reducing affordability, and addressing the um, cultural influences in alcohol. It strengthens evidence for working more closely or regulating more closely the drinks industry because we know that there has been a big push to target women and that has obviously been very successful. So that's something that that, that really we need to uh, get a handle on. There's definitely a need, and this is probably the hardest, there's much less evidence about what works in terms of addressing the cultural aspects around alcohol so that the relationship that we have and I think the first point really is to start a debate about that for example you know what do we mean by sensible drinking 
and let's not reduce it to units per hour. Let's take a, a, you know, a more sort of holistic approach. What do we as a society mean by that? And what do we say is an, an appropriate level of alcohol misuse that we are willing to accept in our society and what constraints are we willing to accept in order to bring those numbers down to levels that, that we think is appropriate for our society. Well, well, that sounds, uh, yeah, like a daunting task. So uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is, uh, as you've experienced directly, there's a lot of media interest in um, issues related to alcohol and health. And um, on the one hand, what we often hear about is how red wine consumption and uh, moderate alcohol consumption is uh, has some beneficial aspects from a uh, public health perspective. But on the other hand, we hear about studies like yours that show that uh, excessive drinking over long periods of time can actually be very harmful. To what extent do you think that this potentially contradictory messaging uh, works against public health efforts? Uh, no, I, th I think it very much does. And I think that there, there is more work uh, coming out talking about this issue. Um, there's lots of information talking about the, the, the cost. So there's huge cost um, looking across the board in terms of health, social, family, crime, etc., of alcohol. And there's also some debate about when we're talking about the beneficial effects of that. We do probably need to get more robust about that um, in terms of the populations of abstainers, uh, very low alcohol users, and, and I guess what that population is, are we including um, those that are abstaining for a health reason, etc. I right. think even, even if you got fantastic data and worked out that actually there is a, a, a small benefits, you know, the population level for, for um, a small moderate levels of alcohol consumption. I think the stuff that I've seen, it is very, very small levels of consumption, uh, which confer a benefit. And after that, then you start getting into um, the, the levels of harm. So I think really, um, it, it's in some ways, it's, it's a very skewed debate, because when you look at it, it, it's, it seems to be a bit of a no brainer. But obviously, when you when it is um, discussed in the media, um, there are other influences um, around which maybe want to peddle the, the benefits over the harm. Yeah, well, that's really interesting too. And, you know, I think the other thing that happens is that particularly when these kinds of studies are reported in the media is that people hear them as a way of justifying their own behavior probably. So that it's not that people are making logical, rational decisions based on weighing the evidence. Yes, no, I think that's right. It, it's alcohol so much embedded in our society that it it's hard for us sometimes to have honest debates about that and have honest debates about what your level of of uh, drinking is and how appropriate that is. Yeah, so I was just going to, um, as a way of wrapping up, ask if there's anything else you wanted to add about the study and where you go next with this, perhaps. People in the more sociological literature will say that Females have been a sort of informal control on the excesses in, in society and they're no longer playing that role. And so it's interesting to see what does that mean more broadly for our society. I think on a more practical level, if we are starting to see a high levels of alcohol harm in 
females, just because of the way our society is set up, we do need to think about the effect that's going to have on children um, because uh, with, with females still being the main carer, that, that is likely to, to have effects on children and, and also on, on communities. The community, is, I think, is also a, a valuable um, uh, and interesting area where we can look at in terms of the communities. The, what is it about communities that support or not a healthy relationship with that community with alcohol. The most obvious one is licensed premises. There's in, in Scotland, there was a, there's a large increase sort of 15 years ago in licensed premises, and people will often say that in deprived communities, um, they're much more overrepresented, uh, the, the licensed premises are much more overrepresented um, as our bookies, etc. So that's not supporting a very healthy community. That's great. And uh, obviously, that's going to manifest differently in different places. Um, you know, the the idea of the neighborhood pub, um, which I think is kind of embodied in what you're saying, is is something that's probably fairly unique to UK culture. But uh, certainly, this has been an incredibly illuminating study. And uh, I really appreciate you spending the time with me here today. And uh, I think with that, we're going to sign off. My guest today was Deborah Shipton. And she was talking about her article with Bruce White and David Walsh called Ar- Alcohol-Related Mortality in Deprived UK Cities, Worrying Trends in Young Women Challenge Recent National Trends. Once again, my name is Jim Dunn. I'm the co-editor of the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time on one of our podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.